Ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, I'd like you to join me now in welcoming Pastor Sherry Comment as she um, brings a word of greeting, and then I will be introducing Papa here. Thank you, friends. We are honored. You know my temptation is to sing Stand and Sing of Zambia proud and <laughs> You know that temptation. We can but do I've it. resisted. Oh no, I've got to resist, brother. How long do you think we can keep these precious people here? <laughs> By the time you get through all those verses? My Lord. But I, my heart is to sing those praises of the nation to the glory of God. And I'm so thankful to see the development in our great country of Zambia. I have children who are proud to have gone to school in your country. We are blessed people. And I know Elmer would have me do all kinds of things like sit at the keyboard and remind you, come Wimbile, Okay, that's enough, thank you. You are good singers and the Lord is great. He is great. We would like you to be seated. I'm going to read one scripture and my husband is going to come and share the word. I say this and read this scripture in the context of what our pastor and bishop has already read to us this morning. I'm reading from Isaiah chapter 26 and I love this verse. Uh, I, I haven't even got my glasses on. I'm going to say it from memory, but I think it's verse number 16. But you know, you look carefully, okay? Yes, Lord. Walking in your ways, your name and your renown are our delight. That's what I'm here about. That's why I'm here. That's why I'm a servant of the king. His name, his renown is our delight. It's not about the accolades. It's not about the things that we've said or done. Hallelujah. Amen. We give praise to the one whose name is the highest name. A bit more formally, especially for those joining us remotely, Reverend Elmer and Pastor Sherry Comment have joyfully served on the African continent since 1980. Seven years in Zambia, 10 years in Kenya, 14 years in Rwanda, and eight in Burundi. The majority of their urban ministry has been spent in urban centers planting and nationalizing churches. They are passionate about healthy indigenous churches relevant in their communities, bringing the lost to Christ. Please join me once again in welcoming Reverend Comment as he brings the word of the Lord. Thank you so much. Bishop Banda, Sister Gladys, congregation, lovely people of Northmead. Many of you, or some of you know me, few of you know me. And uh, for those of you who have the long history of over 35 years, I feel sorry for you. 
Because when I was here, I was a very young man, and I'm sure I did many young man foolish things as well. But I did my best unto the Lord. I gave my best to the Lord. I give my best today to Jesus Christ. The life verse of mine is Matthew 6 and 33. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things shall be added unto you. I have tried my very best to focus only and clearly on the work of God. I've never tried to do things outside once I've obeyed God's call. I've never tried to look after myself in other ways, but I can tell you, I tell you today, I'm standing here today saying, the Lord has added and added and multiplied and added unto me the blessing of God, the favor of God, the provisions of God, the friendship of people and, and God. And I, I have so many friends. And I, I thank God that we can come back here today to celebrate with you. I feel very small. Bishop Banda, all the things that you have said, all the things that have gone on, all the things that Northmead and the Assemblies of God have, have done in Zambia since, since we left and is, is simply overwhelming. And if, if yeah, the remembrance, and, and I, I, I will honor the word of the Lord because some plant and some sow and, and, and some water and some pray. And, and uh, I remember, I remember people praying for me when I was here in 1985 with a brain tumor. And I was ripped out of this place in, in one or two days. I had an attack on Saturday on Tuesday, I was here in the office, had another attack, and I was zipped out to Zimbabwe, and I never came back until the whole thing was all over. But there were seven young men in this place, plus uh, Sister Hunter, that fasted and prayed for me for 21 days uh, straight, and, and God heard the prayer. I wasn't instantly healed, but I, I, I was healed in about two months. I came back by, I think we left in June, I came back at the end of October, and I was completely uh, declared free from the brain tumor, completely healed, completely whole, without an operation, without, uh, I was in hospitals, I was in so much, yes, yeah, so many hospitals, so much um, uh, observation, but at the end of the day, God healed and delivered, and so I owe it to people, I owe it to the people of God. It's marvelous to come back to Zambia after 35 years. It's been a dream of ours for many, many years. And after having spent only a few hours with Bishop Banda after we arrived the other night, the stories of growth and blessing for the future of Northmead and the future of PAO, um, the PAOG in Zambia is incredible. Pastor Banda already mentioned it. When I look at him today, I remember this very skinny. He's not much fatter now than he was back then, so 
I don't know, Sister Gladys, what you're doing, but you better do something to get him fattened up. But this skinny young man, single, he didn't even have his eye on a woman at that time. Came as an intern. I saw potential. There was huge potential in this young man. And now look at him today. Bishop Joshua Banda, doctor, this, grandfather, father. If he's grandfather, what does it make me? Can you believe it? This young man, I mean, grandfather. Responsible for leading an entire denomination that has grown phenomenally. Responsible in, in, in influencing and, and integrating into this very nation, into the very roots and leadership of this nation. Touching people in this nation and around the globe. What a privilege and what an honor. Generations come and go. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Northmead, in these 35 years since we've been gone, you've had your challenges. You've had your trials. As individuals, you've had your challenges and trials and tribulations. So have I. But we are the people of God. And Jesus said, I will build my church. Not you. Not you, Comont. Not you, Banda. Not you, pastors or deacons or elders. Jesus said, I will build my church. This is God's church. Not a POC or a PAG church. He said, this is Jesus' church, God's church. Hallelujah. Thank God for the PAOG and, and for the PAOC. And thank God for missions and pastors and leaders. But this is his church. And he said, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we declare today in Jesus' name. We declare today in Jesus' name. That Zambia... Zambia will rise up in the name of Jesus. If you've come this far, can you imagine how far God is going to take you? In the name of Jesus, I proclaim that the gates of hell will not prevail. That Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Jesus reigns above it all. He reigns above it all. Hallelujah. 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 One of the things that God has so clearly laid on Sherry and my heart for this particular season of our lives is that wherever God allows us to minister... One of our purposes is, wherever it is, whether it's in Canada or in Africa, for us at this season, it is for us to call out the next generation who will rise up and accept God's call on their lives to gather in the end time.
time harvest. Beloved brothers and sisters, we are living in the end time. And I realize that I am at more at the end of my journey than I am at the beginning of my journey. But I believe that there is an end time harvest, not only in Zambia, but I'm believing as well in Kenya where we just were, in, in, in Burundi where we're going next, in, in Rwanda where we're going, and all over this continent and all over the world that God is going to bring an end time harvest before Jesus comes again. I can tell you, you can lift up your heads and you can lift up your faces because many of you are not going to see a grave. Well, Now, I don't know, I don't know the times and the seasons, but many of us, and even me, being as old as I am, I might not see the grave. I believe that. I believe that Jesus is coming at any moment. We're seeing the signs of the times. So our job and our calling at this stage is to call out and call up the next generation. It's absolutely imperative that we do everything in our power to, to call out, to empower, and to encourage the generations coming after us. There's something that I, over the years, these last years particularly, maybe it's the last 20 years or so, but there's something that's burning in my heart, and that's this. There is no success without a successor. There is no success without a successor. Parents, I speak to you. You want your children to succeed. Much of it depends on you. And how much you put into them, and how much you empower them, and how much you train them. Pastors and leaders. We don't hold positions and titles for the sake of making us look good. We are only a success if we can make others that follow us even more successful than we are. I stand here with this man and with all of you. You probably have done all much more than I have already. Success. I'm like a little midget. I'm like a dwarf here today. With the success. Did you hear all that he was saying today? All that Northman has done. All that the PAG has done. All that God is doing in, in, in Zambia. I had, I had that much there is no success without a successor. And if anybody in this house feels that they can hold on to a title and a position without leaving a successor, not one, but dozens, and I thank God that I can stand here in Zambia, the very first nation that God called us to. 
and look at a successor and look at somebody that has followed and somebody who's done greater things that by far that I could ever dream of. I was just in Kenya with Pastor Tom Arati. I left him there as a young man. I just went, two weeks ago, we inaugurated him as bishop of the Bible Way churches in Mombasa, in Kenya. They have planted church after church after church after church. They built a huge church that seats 3,000 people since we've been gone. All paid for, everything gone. My successor, hallelujah. I have a successor and teams in Rwanda. Pastor Andrew took over and, and the amazing work that God is doing in Rwanda. Rwanda from that horrible period of genocide in 1984. Or sorry, 1994, sorry. We went in in 1997. Three years after the genocide. We saw the walking dead. The walking dead. People were dead. You look in their eyes, they were dead. They didn't know where they were walking. They could walk into a post. They could walk into anything. They were dead. Today, God has transformed and is transforming the nation of Rwanda by His power and by His grace. Rwanda has been declared a purpose-driven nation. Hallelujah. God is doing marvelous things. Successors. Hallelujah. In Burundi, we have successors. Hallelujah. I'm not trying to boast this morning. All I'm just saying is this. My calling at this time, and this little bit of gray hair that I have left, I mean, not much, but don't look back there, okay? Only look here. I've got a little bit of hair here. At this stage of my life, I believe I have the mandate, the calling, and the authority from God to call out and to call up. I cannot call anybody into the kingdom. But I call out and I call up those that are in the next generation to give yourself. Sherry and I have given ourselves unreservedly for 40 years, 40 constant years. And we're still not quitting. This trip has just come back. It's not a, just a, a visiting tour. We're ministering from place to place. I believe every generation must receive their own personal calling and motivation from God itself, himself. Every generation must rise up and take up the leadership and responsibilities of the free, previous generation. If you have heard of any of the things that, that perhaps Comont has done, I pray those things are reproduced in you. In you. Hallelujah. I'm not ashamed of a hammer and a saw. I'm not ashamed to use my hands for the kingdom of God. I'm not ashamed to stand behind a pulpit. I'm not ashamed to call myself pastor and leader. But what we need to do is try to reproduce ourselves. I don't want to raise up a bunch of clerical people. Who only know how to sit in chairs and sit behind desks and maybe stand behind a pulpit. 
Those things are good. But we need to transform a nation. And you can't transform a, transform a nation by sitting in a chair. We get to get out where the people are. And Bishop, you've mentioned it this morning. All over this nation, you're reaching out. Do it in Jesus' name. Model it to the next generation. Train the next generation. Lead the next generation. Empower the next generation. They must do it. You, sir, and you, sir, and you, sir, and you, sir. Or on your way out. Who's following you? Who's following you? The minute you start getting a little bit of gray on your chin. I want to be a person that God uses in my generation. And I believe that there are many people here that want to be a person that God uses in this generation. Whether you're a preteen, a, pre a teen, or in your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, your 60s, or your 70s like myself. I just turned 71 the other day. No matter the cost, deep down in my heart I have a desire to see the kingdom of God expanded. I believe the high calling of God is by far the highest and the greatest calling on earth. And I want to talk a little bit this morning about people God uses. People God uses. And the first thing I want to say today is this, that God uses Ordinary people to do extraordinary things. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. The world says that if you want to get the job done and you hire the best looking, the most talented, the one with the highest points, the most qualified superstar with the best track record, and, and that's the person you hire if you want to get the job done. But the Bible teaches us that God is not looking for superstars to get the work done. He consistently calls and chooses plain, ordinary, everyday people like you and me. And I'll tell you a little bit more of myself as well. 1 Samuel 16 and 7 says, People judge by the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Think of a time when a huge Philistine giant by the name of Goliath was taunting the armies of Israel. Everyone was paralyzed with fear. Nobody, nobody dared to fight him. In fact, when he came out, they all ran in their tents and hid. So whom did God select to fight this man, he chose a shepherd boy, a little farm boy who had been sent by his father to take food to his brothers who were in the front line facing Goliath. But they were cowards and they ran away. This young man, David, went out to face the giant. We know with a few stones, a sling in his hand but by a, with a mighty faith and conviction that God was with him, that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And he took one sling with that, with that slingshot and knocked that giant down. 
deader than a doornail. God used a very ordinary shepherd boy to get the job done. There was another time in history, Israel's history, when, when they were immobilized by fear again because of their enemies. And God spoke to a guy who was secretly threshing wheat in a wine press. Can you ever think of that? Why in the world was he threshing wheat in a wine press? His name was Gideon. And he was convinced that God had called the wrong guy. But God called him nevertheless. God had to teach him a number of ways through this and through that and through that method. God trusted Gideon because Gideon did not trust in his own ability. He didn't trust in his own talent. He didn't trust in his own merit. He did not trust in his title and position. He had to trust in God. God proved himself faithful. There was also a time when he chose a very ordinary woman by the name of Esther to stand in the gap to prevent a mass slaughter of the Jewish people living in Babylon. From our human perspective, it would have been, it would appear like everything had gone wrong for this young girl from her earliest days. You just talked about a ministry to street ladies and to, to these people. Esther was not a street lady, but she was an orphan. An orphan. Maybe her parents got killed at that time when, when, when Babylon came in to, to take over um, Jerusalem. I don't know. But Esther was orphaned as a child, taken captive and carried off into godless Babylonian captivity. And while in captivity, she and her people became the object of planned, premeditated genocide. As was in Rwanda in 1994, where one million people were killed in 100 days with a planned, premeditated genocide. I wish there was Esther at that time. Where was Esther? Maybe we didn't have the Mordecai's to raise her up. I don't know. What's our job? What's our responsibility? Raise up the next generation. Call out the next generation. God gives Esther such favor with the king that she has chosen an orphan girl to be queen of Babylon. God raises her up for such a time as this to save her people from the evil plan of Haman. And I can assure you as an orphan girl, she hardly felt adequate for the task. You see, it's not a bad thing to discover that we are inadequate. Bishop, I don't know about you, but I have felt inadequate thousands of times. In fact, it's a good thing to feel inadequate. Warren Wesserby says, 
You can never be too small for God, only too big. Do you hear that? You can never be too small for God, only too big. And you know where the biggest biggest is? Up here. If you've got a big head and a fat head about who you are, you're too big for God. Get off the throne. Let him sit on the throne. I'd like us to talk about one more ordinary character that God called and chose to do very extraordinary, extraordinary things through. A man by the name Moses. Moses begins, Moses' life begins with a pronouncement of death sentence, death over his life. By the king's command, he is supposed to be killed at birth. But God supernaturally rescues Moses from being killed as a baby and then raises him up and educates him in the very palace of Pharaoh who wanted to kill him in the first place. Isn't that God? Yeah. Hallelujah. Isn't that God? But the story doesn't end there. Although Moses is educated in Egyptian royalty, he would never be anything but a Jew in his heart and his life. And God allowed him to see with his own eyes the terrible abuse and affliction of his own flesh and blood by Egyptian slave drivers. Let me stop here. What do you see in your nation? What do you see that you abhor? What do you see that is unjust? What do you see that needs to be fixed? To stop pointing your fingers at everybody else. Stop pointing your fingers even at the politicians and the leadership. Turn the finger around and say, I will do something about it. Now Moses wasn't he wasn't all right in everything that he did. He became so angry, so frustrated. That one day when he was out as an Egyptian priest or prince, maybe driving in a chariot or whatever it was, he saw somebody, an Egyptian slave driver, beating his, one of his own Jews. He got so angry, he jumped off that thing. Grabbed the guy, and I don't know whether he intended to kill him or not, but he killed him. Don't do that. Whatever you do, don't do that. Shake him up if you want to. Give him a few lessons, but don't, don't do that. <laughs> Instead of things, making things better, things got worse for Moses and his fellow Jews. And Moses was under a death threat once again. And this time he has to flee as a refugee to the black backside of a desert. We pick up Moses' story in Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 to 10. And I'm going to read some. Exodus 3, 1 to 10. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of desert and came to Hebron, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why does this bush not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, what did he say? 
Here am I. God said, do not come any closer. Take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. And the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out of their, because of their slave drivers. I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians to bring them out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 9, And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. What did we say about the people that God uses? God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. What kind of a person was Moses? Ordinary. Very, very ordinary. A refugee. A man in hiding from the Egyptian authorities because he was a murderer. Moses had been in total obscurity for 40 years. Somebody listen to me. I don't know how long it's been, but there's been a long time. Somebody's, God is speaking to people, but listen, remember that, 40 years in obscurity. Moses had fallen from royalty to being a smelly shepherd, looking after not only his, his, not his own sheep, but his father-in-law's sheep, on the backside of a dry, dusty, God-forsaken desert. Here was a man who tried leadership 40 years ago. He tried what he thought was best, but totally failed. Listen to me. Somebody else is here. This is for you this morning. It's, God's going to remind you of this in a few minutes. He was rejected by his own people that he was trying to help. Who could be more ordinary than Moses? How could a person be more obscure, out of sight and out of mind, 40 years forgotten? But when I read this passage, somehow I don't get the sense that God saw Moses that way. God did not see him as one obscure and forgotten. Moses is actually receiving God's VIP treatment that day. Forty years. Forty years in obscurity. Forty years and nobody. And God gives him the VIP treatment. Anybody want to receive, or anybody want to reject VIP treatment? All of you want that, I know. A burning bush that was not consumed. A loud voice from heaven saying, Moses, Moses. 
God did not forget Moses' name nor his address in 40 years. Neither did he forget Moses' shortcomings. God does not have a short memory. He remembered the foolish things that Moses had done. But at that very time, Exodus 3, God calls Moses to do a very extraordinary assignment for him. And he says, take off your shoes, for the place you are standing is holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Listen to what he says. And I have seen the misery of my people. When you were there, I saw it. For 40 years, I've seen it. Today, I see it. I see the misery of my people. I have heard the crying out of my people. I heard it when you were a boy. I heard it when you were growing up in Pharaoh's house. I heard it when you were, were a prince. I heard it all these 40 years, and I hear it today. I hear the crying of my people, the distress. Are you hearing crying today in Zambia? Or in places around you, communities around you. Are you hearing things? Are you seeing things? See the things that God sees. Hear the things that God hears. Hear it with your ears. Hear it with your heart. God says, I am concerned about their suffering. And I have come down to rescue them. What a mighty God we serve. The God of all creation. Awesome God Almighty. The one who spoke the worlds into existence. The very universe into existence. He says, I have seen. I have heard. I am concerned. I have come down. Yet this very amazing, awesome God is the personal God of Moses. Moses, Moses by name. If you're going to call Bishop Banda, you have to make sure that you're using the title properly. But if God speaks to you, Joshua, he won't use Bishop. No, he speaks to Joshua. He speaks to Elmer. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He sees the misery of his people. He is the crying. He is concerned for them. He has come to rescue them. Listen, church. This powerful God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Moses is the same Lord and Savior and builder of his church today on earth. <laughs> Hallelujah. Don't put yourself back. 2,000 years and more back in Moses' time. He's the same today. Hallelujah. 
He was and he still is the saving, transforming God of everyone who believes on the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. He sees us. He hears us. He hears our cries or every prayer or every heartache. He hears our delights. He knows our sorrows. He is concerned about us. He has come and he is coming again to rescue everyone who calls on the name of the Lord to take us to his eternal home. And the good news is that he is still in the business of calling ordinary people that he can use to bring in his chosen people out of bondage. Out of slavery of sin. Out of the life of this world. Jesus said to his disciples in Matthew 9.37. He said, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest. To send out laborers into his harvest. Beloved, this morning we're talking about people God uses. God met Moses at a burning bush, called him personally and told him how he wanted Moses to deliver his people. Notice Moses' answer. Here I am. A question for every one of us in this room and those listening by screen anywhere. Have you ever said that to God yourself? Have you ever said that to God? Here I am. It is my conviction from the word of God that anyone who has a desire to be used by God will have their own burning bush experience. Hear me correctly. I'm not saying you have to see a literal fire or hear an audible voice from heaven, but I'm talking about the need to have a personal encounter with God. Let me tell you a little bit about my own personal life, how God called me, and then I'm going to close. My personal experience of my burning bush experience happened in the doorway of a church. So see that doorway over there, or that doorway, any one of these three doorways. I was standing in the doorway of the church, my leaning against the door jam of the church. That's, that's where, so just get the picture. I had just used my car to pick up about eight children who would have no other way of getting to Sunday school unless someone from the church picked them up and took them home again after church. So I used my car for that week after week. I had picked about eight children up. Thank God those days we weren't mandated to have seat belts, so the seat belts I didn't squeak. I had eight children in my car. All eight of these children came from non-Christian homes. I did this faithfully week after week. It was part of my ministry. So there was nothing new or significant about that in itself. But that particular Sunday morning, there was a missionary sharing with the children in Sunday school open session. And as I stood at the doorway, leaning against, I had brought the children in, the children were sitting in children's church, I was sitting and just admiring what was going on and listening to this lady talking to the children. As I stood in the doorway of the sanctuary, the missionary was talking to the children, not to me. And God spoke to me 
Now, I don't know what right he had, because the lady was speaking to children. What right did he have to come and speak to me standing at the doorpost? God spoke to me very clearly. I didn't hear an audible voice. I didn't see a fire. But the distinct voice of God speaking into my spirit, saying, Elmer, I want you in the full-time ministry. In fact, Elmer, I'm calling you to be a missionary. That much I knew standing there. I could not believe it. I was sure that God had made a mistake. In fact, I must have looked around to see if he was talking to somebody else. Me of all people. Now, I still am shy and backwards. That's why I have a very bubbly, outgoing wife. I'm an introvert. She's an extrovert. So I go behind her. She, she opens up the way, and then I follow her all the time. You, you have to understand that. I, I couldn't talk in front of people. I used to stutter quite badly. See, I was raised as a farm boy. We milk cows for a living. I was totally comfortable with milking cows and looking after horses and animals, but I was not comfortable with people. Besides that, I had just completed four intense years of apprenticeship in benchwork and joinery. That's where I learned all my skills in building, and I have used that constantly and consistently over the last 40 years in Africa as well. I just finished four years of intense apprenticeship. I had just started my own business and was finally able to make some good money. And I'm telling you, it was good money. Surely God did not want me to waste four years of very hard work, intense training, and throw away a very good career. I tried to convince myself that God had made a mistake that he was calling the wrong person, that I was not suitable for the job. In fact, I argued that I would support a missionary with the good money I was making. Now that shows you how stupid I was. I said, God, I'll support a missionary, but not me. I remember God very clearly speaking in the days that followed, two days that followed. I remember God saying, Elmer... I don't want your money, I want you. So being the very obedient Christian that I was, I continued to argue with God all through that Sunday, all through Monday and through the night on Monday, all through Tuesday and all into the night, somewhere in the middle of the night, I was so exhausted, maybe I gave in because of exhaustion, I don't know. No, I didn't. I gave in because of conviction. Because of call. Because God, I heard God speak to my heart. I so clearly remember it was bitterly cold and miserable outside. The rain pounding on the little place that I was sleeping in. And I finally came to the point where I had no more arguments, no more excuses. And I said, okay God, I surrender to your will, not mine. I give you all of me for total life. I do not keep any part of my life for myself. There is no plan B. There is no exit plan. If it gets too hard, it's all or nothing. And the minute I said, here I am, and meant it with all of my heart, 
was the time that I realized that I was standing on holy ground. And the peace of God that passes all understanding flooded my heart and my mind that cold night. And it has never left me to this day. That passion, that call drives me on. And until the day I die, until the day I die, I will obey that call. I will follow that call. If I live in Canada, if I live if wherever I live, wherever God calls me, until the day I die, I will obey that call. What I can tell you today is this. That God, the God who called a very ordinary man by the name of Moses, is the same God who called a very ordinary farm boy by the name of Elmer to give his service to the Almighty. And 49 years later after that call, I have absolutely no regret of saying, here I am. And I believe that is why I am here this morning on April 24th, 2022, in Northmead Assembly of God Church, a place where I formerly ministered for a short time, because I believe that God is personally calling some of you this morning. Please hear the word of the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. God is speaking directly to a number of people here right now. And I believe it's to a number of age groups. Some of you have almost missed it by 40 years, but it's not too late for God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Maybe you're almost to the point of retirement. Maybe you take an early retirement, whatever it is. It's not too late for God. Some of you are young. Some of you got your whole life ahead of you. Listen to the word of the Lord. I have seen the misery of my people. God has allowed you to see things that shouldn't be happening in this world, in this Zambia, in this place that we're living in. Things that should not be. In a perfect world, they would not be. You have seen things. God sees them. He wants you to see them. He said, I have heard the suffering of my people, the cries of their suffering. I'm concerned about their suffering and their pain. And I have come to rescue them. God is not calling you to be God. God is calling you to be a servant. God is calling you to give your life. And as I stand here at 71 years old, I have almost run to the end of my journey. I've still got some years left, God willing. But if I drop dead tomorrow, I want to know that there is a generation who is called by God, who has heard the voice of God, who has seen the suffering of God's people, who has heard the cry of God's people, who is concerned about the cries and the suffering of people. And they will go out and they will obey and say, here am I.
I'm not calling you. I am not the one that's calling. But in your heart and your spirit this morning, there is something as supernatural that's taking place in your life. You can't run from it anymore. You might have heard this thing sort of bubbling in your heart for some time. You might have felt this thing going, should I, should I not, should I, should I not. Today is a day. Today is a day. Will you stand to your feet? God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. There's nobody here so ordinary that God cannot use you. And there's nobody here too big that God cannot use you. This morning, if you sense the calling of God, if you sense that speaking in your spirit, I don't know whether God's going to call you to be a full-time preacher or what, but if you long to see, to be obedient to the Lord, and you're willing to say this morning, here I am, send me, use me wherever you want, no matter what your occupation, no matter what your life is, I'd like you to take a step out of your seat and come walking to the front. Just Maybe just come and kneel at this altar, and by that saying, here I am, Send me. Here I am, Lord. Young person, come. In your 20s, come. In your 30s, come. In your 40s, come. In your 50s, come. In your 60s, come. Your life is not over. Your life is not over. You might have... You might have Try to push it off for a long time, but come. In your 70s, come. 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 Make more room. Make more room that way. Come. 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 There's more of you coming. Come. Pastors, come up here. Please come up here to make more room. Come up, pastors, leaders, come up over here so we can make more room. I want everybody coming. I don't want you standing back far. I want you to be able to come. Some of you can come right up onto the platform. Come here, my dear. Come. Come. Just come a little bit more forward. Come. Some of you are still arguing with God and say, it's not me. Not me. I can't give up my life now. I can tell you this morning, whether you're 15 or 50, God has got a plan and a purpose and a work for you. Whether you're a young lady or a young man, God is calling. Reach out your hands. Lift up your faces, because it's God who's calling. 
Look into heaven. Don't look at me because I'm not calling you. And say, here I am. Here I am. Rabati korobo shakarabihita. Hallelujah. 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 Breathe in now. Breathe in. Take a big, deep breath of the living breath of God. The fresh breath of God. Breathe it in. Breathe in. Take a big, deep breath and say, here I am. God, use me. God, fill me with your spirit. God, fill me and use me. I will be spent for you. The rest of my life, I give myself to you. I hold nothing back. I reserve nothing. All of me today, I give. I give. Breathe in the breath of God. Breathe it in. I encourage you, there's something special about that. Just take a big, deep breath and say, Here I am, God. Fill me. Fill me with power. Fill me with anointing. Fill me with strength. Fill me with vision. Fill me with compassion. Fill me with concern. Help me to see what you see. Help me to hear what you hear. Help me to be concerned about what you're concerned about. God, here I am.